Welcome to the Working Together Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Morales, thinker, maker, doer behind Working Together, a burgeoning hub of can-do and know-how, inspired to explore who we are and how we can work together better. I'm fascinated by all the ingredients that you need to really make something happen, to really engage a system and the groups of people within it. And so, on this podcast, you'll hear a lot of stories from folks who've made interesting things happen. Their trials and tribulations, their reflections, their lessons learned, and the actionable advice that they have to share. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I did. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. It's just me again. Um, and if you're kind of arriving to the Working Together podcast, this is your and this is your first time, just know that this episode is different from the normal ones. Usually, um, I have long form interviews with thinkers, makers, and doers uh, who, who are making some sort of impact in theirs and others' worlds, and we talk about how they've done that and kind of. Um, pull apart and piece together their methodologies for doing that work. Uh, but this episode, this one is just me. Um, but it is, it is for all of those people that I interview and it's, it's, it's actually for everyone. It's for, for everyone out there because it's all about creativity and how to kind of manage, um, I, I guess, manage your, your striving towards a vision that you have that you want to create in the world and all of the difficulties and, and kind of um, emotional uh, tensions that arise when you do that, when you try to create something new. Um, so really, it's for anyone who is trying to create something. It can be for an artist who's trying to develop um, you know, his body of work and share it with the world. It can be for a program director at a nonprofit you know, trying to create some sort of innovative new program to address some unmet need in their community. It can be for a business executive who's trying to create some sort of new product line or something like this in their company. Uh, it can be for uh, the bootstrap entrepreneur who, like myself, is trying to create something of value from scratch. This is literally for anyone who's trying to create something. Um, if you felt the uncertainty, the depression, the anxiety, fear, loathing, all of these lovely uh, feelings that come with being at the brink of catastrophe and, and failure, then this episode is for you. If you've supposedly never wrestled with uh, this kind of negativity in your creative endeavors, then this episode is especially for you because you're hiding something from yourself and you need to work on that and uncover it, which is what we're going to talk about in this show. So um, let's, uh, let's begin uh, this episode on Peter Senge's notion of personal mastery and creative tension. So personal mastery um, is is a fascinating idea that uh, that comes up in Peter Senge's classic book, The Fifth Discipline: The Art and Practice of the Learning Organization. It's one of the five disciplines in there, personal mastery, and the the kind of central discipline of that book is uh, systems thinking, and it, it kind of unifies all the other disciplines. But I won't go into that here. I'm going to do my best in this episode to kind of distill uh, this chapter, which is philosophically a little um, uh, quite deep, uh, and kind of take us away from that a little bit into some um, uh, uh, practical elements uh, that I think you can that I think you can use in your creative endeavors. So these are key takeaways that you're going to get. Um, so that you can understand the core elements of this discipline and begin practicing it. <clears throat> and like I said before, and this is just to kind of say up front, all, all of the disciplines in this book are interrelated with um, 
systems thinking being given special attention because it informs all the others. So the others, there's personal mastery, there's mental models, there's shared vision, and team learning uh, as well. And like I said, they all inform each other. But I left them out here because that would just take up way too much time. Um, but I do think it is absolutely necessary to wrap your head around them. So uh, I would suggest reading that book at some point, uh, The Fifth Discipline. And in the meantime, in the show notes, I'll pop in some, some summaries that you can read online that talk about some of the key points in that book. So let's begin with personal mastery and its two foundational practices. One, clarifying your personal vision. And two, continually learning how to see current reality more clearly. Okay? Uh, We're going to spend most of our time unpacking those two. And talking about the gap between the two. Um, And that gap is, uh, in Peter Senge's, uh, words called creative tension. And I love this concept. It's, it's great. That gap that's between your personal vision and your current reality. Um, it is generated the moment that you see your, your vision as something that lies beyond where you are now, your current reality, right? And by committing yourself to the truth that's inherent within both your vision and your current reality, uh, your ability to, to kind of generate creative tension and, and most importantly, hold it is strengthened and commitment to truth is kind of a fundamental, um, disposition or attitude that you have to adopt towards these two foundational practices of personal mastery. It, 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 it influences how, how you approach everything that's going to come, uh, next in the episode. So commitment to the truth, as Senge, uh, says, uh, here, I'll quote him, is a relentless willingness to root out the ways we limit or deceive ourselves from seeing what is, and to continually challenge our theories of why things are the way they are. It means continually broadening our awareness, just as the great athlete with extraordinary peripheral vision keeps trying to see more of the playing field. It also means continually deepening our understanding of the structures underlying current events. Specifically, people with high levels of personal mastery see more of the structural conflicts underlying their own behavior. Okay? So that's Senge on commitment to the truth. And so I just, I want you to keep that in the back of your minds as we move through um, these two foundational practices of personal mastery and then also creative tension at the end. So let's move through the, the first one here. So the first one, clarifying your personal vision. This one is, um, this one's actually the easier of the two. And you have a lot of control over your vision. And that's kind of why it's the easier of the two. You have less control over reality, right? Um, so let's kind of walk through what, what personal vision is. Um, so first, um, uh, you could kind of think as a, a, a vision as being the opposite of purpose in a sense. So where purpose is, is abstract vision is, uh, concrete, right? Um, and therefore you need to cultivate the ability to visualize it and to kind of sense its concreteness, if that makes any sense. Um, Obviously, having a personal vision and having a purpose are interrelated things. 
it's necessary to have one with the other, but they're different. Where purpose involves an individual sense of why he or she is alive, vision is a specific destination. It's a picture of a desired future. And so Senge goes on, he says, purpose is abstract, vision is concrete. Purpose is, for example, advancing man's capability to explore the heavens. Vision is a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s. So you can kind of see uh, the difference there, right? Um, and you also can't really have one without the other. Purpose without vision is just a generality that's meaningless. So, for example, uh, you know, I probably share the same purpose with many of my listeners, um, you know, that, that we want to kind of advance humanity's um, ability to create social innovations that address the biggest challenges of the 21st century. Um, so I probably share that with a lot of you who listen in, but we won't share the same vision of what that looks like because mine involves a lot of the entrepreneurial bootstrap and stuff I mentioned earlier, using the internet to disseminate and share ideas and build tribes and all of that. That's part of my vision, right? But it's not the same as yours, or if it is a very small select group of you share that same vision. So on the other hand, vision without purpose, without a sense of calling, is just an empty idea about what might be. Okay? It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing in it, really, because your, your fundamental reason for being <laughs> isn't, isn't tied into it. Um, so, this concreteness of vision, um, you need to cultivate your ability to visualize it. And to do this, you need to really imagine what that vision would look and feel like and, and kind of visualize your, yourself in it. Uh, you know, where are you in that vision? What are you doing? And so on. Um, try to make it multisensory. Uh, there, there's lots of different ways you can do this. I'll just name a few. So there's the kind of um, memory palace approach, which uh, not only like helps you um, uh, kind of clarify and visualize your vision, but it also helps you remember it. So what you do is you map your vision into a familiar space, like the house you grew up in, um, and then you kind of put each part of your vision in different rooms and associate a vivid image with each part. Uh, so that's one way that you can do it, and that, that kind of buries this vision deep in your psyche so that you can recall it in the future, but also so that you can just kind of um, bury it, just put it down there. And, and we're going to talk a bit about that as we move on. Um, second, second thing that you can do, you can go to a place um, that's, that's similar to your vision or is exactly your vision. Um, go to a place where your vision is, is going to be realized. What does it feel like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? and so on, just all of these things. Um, try to take in that space and and get a sense of this. And I talk a little bit about this in episode number three of the Working Together podcast um, uh, when I talk about making New Year's resolutions that stick, and you should definitely check that out. Uh, that That's a great episode to think about making goals and... and uh, and all that sort of thing. And really, this episode here, it's kind of really drilling down deep into the psychology and the practice of um, of achieving your vision. So it's, it's totally related. So second, so the first thing there I, I mentioned, sorry, first is that purpose is abstract and vision is concrete. So the second element of um, clarifying your personal vision is, is that vision has intrinsic and not relative value. So Senge goes on, he talks about this, and he says, it's something you desire for its intrinsic value, not because where it stands from you relative to another. Relative visions may be appropriate in the interim, but they will rarely lead to greatness. 
So we all know uh, competition is a great interim driver for greatness. But because the vision you build from it is relative to your competitor, at the end of the competition, you're, you're left with the stark outcome of a zero-sum game. Because only one can, can win, right? Um, but if your vision of greatness is not to win, but to perform at the best of your abilities, you're kind of coming into the territory of intrinsic value. And funny enough, this is kind of where competitive sport produces non-zero-sum results, right? Because you're, you're, uh, you're both competing with each other, uh, but you're both um, doing so to perform at the best of your abilities and improve um, for the next time. So it's, it's a slightly different way of looking at it. So a third element of um, clarifying your personal vision is to realize that vision is multifaceted. And therefore, you have to clarify your underlying desires. Now, what do, what do, what do we mean by that? So, here's Senge again. Quote him. There are material facets of our visions, such as where we want to live and how much money we want to have in the bank. Uh, there are personal facets, such as health, freedom, and being true to ourselves. There are service facets, such as helping others or contributing to the state of knowledge in a field. Visions span all these dimensions and more. So our visions, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot going on in them. And the tendency of, of so much of the self-help um, business book junk out there is to focus on the material facet, right? Um, you know, very few uh, of those books focus on the personal facets, um, when they do, you're kind of entering the territory of self-help, I guess, straight up. Um, and, but I would say all of these, all of these kind of books, very few of them focus on the service facet. You have to kind of go to the activist aisles to get those and, and, and look at those kind of books. But the, the problem there is that they don't really focus on the other two facets too much, right? So you know, there's this, there's this schism in the bookstore, um, so anyways, I'm, I'm digressing there a bit, but I'm trying to make a point, I guess, right? That, that the tendency in our culture is to see our vision as, as being tied to maybe one or two things. But what we have to do here is go deeper and uncover uh, its, its multifaceted nature. Because the more we do that, the truer the vision becomes to us. And the truer it becomes, the stronger it gets. Now, why does it get stronger, though, you might ask? And I think it's because, you know, this notion of having the courage of one's convictions, the inner strength to act according to your beliefs, um, I think that comes from acknowledging and clarifying your underlying desires. So, how can we do this? How can we strengthen our vision? How can you make it truer? So you can ask yourself of your vision. Um, this is one, one thing to do. You can say, if I actually had this, if I had my vision, if I achieve it, what would it get me? You know, what, what would it get me? Um, and you might say, well, if I did that, then I would get, you know, freedom and autonomy or whatever, right? And then, so you're getting, you're getting deeper into kind of, why do you want freedom and autonomy? Sorry, I'm going on a bit here. But basically, so you kind of, you ask yourself of your vision. If I actually had this, what would it get me? Or you can apply the five-fold why to your vision. You can ask of your vision, why? And when your mind provides an answer, ask yourself, why again? Until you've done this five times, right? So you can say, well, I have this vision of, um, you know, traveling around the world and uh, writing journalism posts for these online things, blah, blah, blah. Why? Well, because I want to, you know, be able to explore and, and, and kind of have the autonomy in my schedule to do this. Okay, but why? Well, because fundamentally, you know, like, I'm not ready to settle down. I don't want to have kids. But, you know, so like, <laughs> you get to all these different elements to it when you when you start to drill down like that. 
And the point of, of these questions is to help you uncover the deeper desires that are behind your vision, right? You need to unearth these and become more aware of the deeper truth of your vision. And as you'll see when we get to the creative tension part, it takes a lot of inner strength and courage to hold steady to your vision in the face of current reality. Because, you know, as you strive towards your vision, you you experience a time delay, right? Between all the action you're taking to achieve it and the actual transformation of your reality. But we'll get to that later. So the more concrete you can make that vision and the more you can tie your personal vision to the truth of your underlying desires, that they're made up of, you know, desires for health, wealth, wisdom, community, love, and so on, the stronger your vision becomes. But as I said earlier, this part is actually the easy part. So we're going to move on. But before I do that, I'll just do a quick recap here of what this little piece was. So first, we talked about vision and purpose going hand in hand. But that vision is different from purpose in a fundamental way. And that vision is concrete, right? And so therefore, you really need to work to visualize it and kind of create a multi-sensory um, vision. Second thing, we talked about the best kind of vision being one that has intrinsic value, not relative value, right? Um, and we talked a bit about competition within that and what that meant. Uh, the third thing we touched on here is, you know, looking at the honest truth about your vision and that it is multifaceted. And you can kind of work through a few question exercises in that, asking yourself, if I actually had my vision, what would it get me? You can apply the five-fold why uh, and, um, and, and know that in doing this, you're strengthening your vision um, by making it more true to yourself. So that's kind of a recap of what we just talked about. But let's move on next to learning to see your current reality more clearly. So this is um, this is really the second um, foundational practice of personal mastery, which is learning to see your current reality more clearly. And the first one is clarifying your personal vision, and I said it was the easier one because it, it was kind of in your control. This next one, I mean, it's hard uh, because it's not in your control, right? And also because reality can be tough to accept, especially when you're just starting to create something. You know, you might you might come charging out of the gates with your vision, your, your grand idea about what you're going to do, uh, pulling all-nighters during your honeymoon with it, you know, and day in and day out, taking all the necessary action that you have to towards your vision, excitedly, passionately trying to transform your current meager reality into this kind of glowing ideal, this, this vision that you've created for yourself. Um, so you're doing all that, you're in this fever, but then uh, nothing, nothing happens, right? Um, you know, you, you, you kind of take an action, you wait, nothing's going, going on, it's, you're still not really making an impact with this idea you thought it would make, anyways, it's not happening yet, you try to be patient, um, but you start to second guess yourself, you start to wonder if all that work that I was doing was really actually worth it in the end, was it actually making an impact, because nothing seems to be happening, and this, this painful reality of nothing happening, of your reality kind of staying the same and not really transforming, hurts so much um, that you would rather not look at it, right? You'd rather just kind of avoid that truth and 
The less you look at your reality, however, the more you drive yourself towards one of two options. And they kind of mirror um, what I'm about to say below as well. So this is interesting. So first option, just keep your head down and keep working. Just keep going. <laughs> you know, just do it. Uh, second option um, is to run from it, right? And that, that can take a number of different forms. It can, it can be just outright quitting. Just, I'm done. I failed. This is it. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm done. I quit. Or it can be, um, you know, trying to run from a negative vision. And I'll talk about that right now. So for most of us, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that reality hurts, right? Um, and uh, therefore, it's the enemy for most of us. We see current reality uh, as the enemy. And when you see reality as the enemy, you have one of two responses, which mirror the above that I just referenced there. So you can fight. You can, you know, keep your head down, keep working. Just use sheer willpower to overcome all the forms of resistance uh, that are in front of you um, that are keeping you from achieving your vision. Or you can take flight. You can create a negative vision. Or, as some call it, a burning platform to run from. So I'll just unpack these two here. So with fight, we use willpower. Uh, we psych ourselves up to overpower resistance. Um, we all know, uh, these characters, um, uh, you know, this is, this is the Gary Vaynerchuk approach, really. <laughs> you just work your face off and you'll get there. Um, right. Uh, so there's, there's two problems though with this approach, right? First, it, it leads to a lot of overworking, you know, um, Senge mentions here, he says, we attain our goals, but the effort is enormous and we may find ourselves exhausted. It's so true. You know, just this idea of hustling continuously, just keeping busy and keeping at it, you know, that's a lot of work and a lot of leverage. It's not a very effective or efficient use of your time, right? But you're just using that willpower to just drive it through and make it happen every day. Because if you don't, you know that it's just not, you're not going to really, you're not going to succeed, right? The second element of, of this fighting, of this kind of willpower approach, is that it creates a ton of unintended consequences, right? You know, you hear a lot of these people who, who, who have this kind of drive. They got failed marriages, uh, shitty relationships with their kids, you know, I, yeah, I never... Uh, never really actually hung out with Johnny, and then suddenly I realized he was 16, and you know, like, what are you, <laughs> you know, so there's all these unintended consequences that come from doing that, right, so the second one here, this flight notion, this burning platform, um, this, this burning platform idea, right, is there's, that you're actually standing on a burning platform, um, and this is kind of supposed to motivate you to, to create, right? Um, and Senge here, I'll quote him again. He says, we fight against what is. We are not so much drawn to what we want to create as we are repelled from what we have from our current reality. By this logic, the deeper the fear, the more we abhor what is, the more motivated we are to change. The idea being like, um, things must be bad enough or people will not change in any fundamental way. You know, this, this kind of conflict and catastrophe theory of change, right? Um, but this leads to the mistaken belief that fundamental change requires a threat to survival. Uh, this kind of burning platform, in the words of some. But this, uh, this has nothing to do with reality. This is you actually just creating a negative vision created when we manipulate ourselves to see conflict um, by focusing on getting away from what we don't want rather than on creating what we do want. 
And this approach really leverages our fear quite a bit, right? You can kind of see that. Which, although it's an honest feeling at times, produces a vision that is relative to something. So it's not, there's no, it's a relative value, right? Uh, It's relative to your fear of what we don't want. You don't want that thing. You, You don't value your present reality. You don't value where you're at. And you need to create a burning platform to get the heck out of Dodge. So you might be asking yourself, okay, well, what do we do with this? I mean, these seem to be kind of the kind of two of the main ways that we're told we have to deal with this, right? Um, this, this problem of reality, right? Uh, so what is current reality? If it's not something to run from or to fight tooth and nail through, um, and to answer that question, we have to look at ourselves, um, why, why would we create such a model of reality? Why would we have that in place? Uh, why would we have a model of reality where we are effectively powerless and forced to either fight or run? And so Senge, he quotes a fellow by the name of Robert Fritz, who, uh, who's done a lot of work on creativity, um, lots of different books on that. I'll just, I'll just kind of read the quote here because I think it, it, it nails it on the head. So it says, As children, we learn what our limitations are. Children are rightfully taught limitations essential to their survival. But too often, this learning is generalized. We are constantly told we can't have or can't do certain things. And we may come to assume that we have an inability to have what we want. Okay, so... You know, they're basically saying this, uh, this idea of powerlessness, of being powerless, goes all the way back to when we were kids, right? It's pretty deep. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get rid of it. Um, and there's another element to it too, which is feeling unworthy, you know, that we do not deserve to have what we truly desire, right? And these, these things, again, this is deep stuff. This goes back to you being a four-year-old kid and being told, you know, you can't eat like three cupcakes today because that's just, that's not good for you. <laughs> and you're saying, well, um, uh, uh, well, who are you to decide mom or dad? And they're like, well, I'm, I'm mom or I'm dad or whatever. And they I just, we just decide, so no, right? And you feel, <laughs> as a kid, can't imagine how many times uh, I must have been told no when I was, I don't know about you guys, but I've been told no probably many times as a young lad. Um, so it, regardless, this, this kind of, this powerlessness and this unworthiness, this is a, this is foundational, right? This is foundational to how we approach um, reality. It's kind of our normal, um, background noise when we're looking at reality is that we, we feel, uh, we're unworthy and we feel that we're powerless in the face of reality. And the main problem with, uh, the kind of fight or flight approaches that I outlined just above is that although, uh, they might help you achieve your vision, they leave your underlying belief in powerlessness or unworthiness unaltered, right? So those stay there. And that's, you know, that's not really a good thing, right? Because so long as those are there, you're always going to feel like you need to just fight through, just burn the midnight oil every day. Or, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna just have to create some sort of motivating force that just scares the hell out of you towards it. Um, but there's gotta be some better ways, right? Yes. Yes, there are better ways. And I'm going to kind of walk you through those now. So 
Here's one better way, and it's kind of going back to one of the things that I mentioned right at the beginning that uh, it's kind of fundamental to all of this, which is commitment to the truth. And um, when we're talking about, uh, you know, learning to see your current reality more clearly, um, commitment to, to the truth, it's 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 the real philosopher's stone, right? I almost want to call it in this part, the philosopher's stone. Um, because the more you hold this, this attitude and this disposition towards both of these practices, the vision part and the, and kind of, uh, seeing reality more clearly, um, the more you can actually transform your world and for those of you who don't know what the Philosopher's Stone is, um, it's, you know, it's this uh, legendary alchemical um, substance that uh, the alchemists back in the day thought was, was capable of turning base metals like mercury into way more valuable metals like gold or silver, right? So it, it was this, um, this, this, uh, this substance that could transform... Um, something that wasn't so good into something pretty valuable and amazing. So just, I'm going to unpack again what uh, that that Senge quote earlier in the episode was about where, where I kind of defined um, commitment to truth. So he said that it was all about relentlessly rooting out the ways that we limit or deceive ourselves from seeing what is. And this relentless rooting, let's just, let's just call it radical. Radical has, um, has its uh, etymological root in kind of uprooting and rooting out. So commitment to the truth is actually radical, okay? In multiple senses of the words, guys. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Anyways, and it's it's about continually challenging our theories of why things are the way they are. It's about continually broadening our awareness and continually deepening our understanding of the structures underlying events. And then he says, specifically, always learning to better see the structural conflicts underlying our own behavior. So how do you... How do you learn to better see the structural conflicts? And what does he mean by structural conflicts? So I'm going to kind of pull in a bit of the material from other parts of the book here to just quickly talk through systems thinking, just a, one element of systems thinking, because we don't have very much time here. I want to kind of move through this material quickly. So commitment to the truth, is it's really aided by systems thinking, Right? Because the more you're able to see your embeddedness in systems, the more you move from a reactive, event-based understanding of reality, you know, where you're just reacting to things and, you know, looking at simple cause and effect. Who did what to whom? These kind of questions, right? Where do I place blame? Who do I discipline? Blah, blah, blah. So you move to that reactive, event-based understanding of reality next to a less reactive understanding where you begin to notice patterns of behavior, long-term trends here and there, um, and also their implications. You begin to kind of see, oh yeah, this seems this, this is a tendency here that I'm noticing. Um, and then you move from that further still to probably the least reactive understanding of reality where you start to develop structural explanations, um, which really focus on answering the question, what's causing these patterns of behavior, right? And that sounds kind of complicated, so I'm going to quickly quote an example um, from Senge, uh, from Peter Senge's life, um, and kind of his, you know, his his way to begin practicing um, commitment to truth in this way. Okay, 
So he goes on and he says here, and this is great because first of all, doing, doing this kind of stuff, this isn't easy. I mean, do you think it's easy to actually, um, begin to develop a structural explanation of, of what's going on and trying to understand the causes to these patterns of behavior that you're not, no, that's not easy. So you have to kind of look for some clues, um, or as he calls them, internal warning signals. So he gives an example here. He says, it helps to develop internal warning signals, such as when we find ourselves blaming something or somebody for our problems. That's a great one to start with here. Um, so then he says, you know, as an example, I guess, the reason I'm giving up is nobody appreciates me, or another one. The reason I am so worried is that they'll fire me if I don't get the job done. And then he says, in my life, for example, for many years, my experience was that people let me down at critical junctures and major projects. And when this happened, I would bulldoze through, overcoming the obstacle of their disloyalty or incompetence. It took many years before I recognized this as a recurring pattern. My own special form of the willpower strategy, rooted in a deep feeling of being powerless to change the way that others let me down. Invariably, I ended up feeling I've got to do it all myself. Once I recognized this pattern, I began to act differently when this happened. I became angry less often. Rather, there was a twinge of recognition. Right? So he's, oh, there goes my pattern, he would say to himself. I looked more deeply at how my own actions were part of the outcome, either by creating tasks that were impossible to accomplish or by undermining or not supporting the other person. Further, I worked to develop skills to discuss such situations with the people involved without producing defensiveness. So you can kind of see a few things that happened there for him. Once he, once he slowed down and saw this as a pattern, he started to think you know, how am I feeding into this pattern with my actions? And what what can I change about those? What do I have direct leverage over? And one thing that he realized he had direct leverage over was, um, you know, uh, basically discussing these situations with people without producing defensiveness. So how do you have that discussion with somebody who's not necessarily delivering in such a way that you can kind of um, come out the other end without uh, without making the situation worse. So he, you know, he he realized he needed to learn a kind of new, probably conflict um, management uh, um, practice there, right? So those are the sorts of um, those are the sorts of things that you begin to uh, transform with with this philosopher's stone of of being committed to the truth and kind of seeing deeper, seeing beyond the reactive towards something that's more um, systematic, I guess, right? Um, so another example here of how the Philosopher's Stone kind of works is, um, is failure. Failure and all of the emotional baggage that comes with it. It's, it's totally transformed by the Philosopher's Stone into a shortfall. Senge goes on here. I'll quote him again. He says, evidence of the gap between vision and current reality. That's failure, right? Failure is an opportunity for learning about inaccurate pictures of current reality, about strategies that didn't work as expected, about the clarity of the vision. Failures are not about our unworthiness or powerlessness. So again, he's kind of coming back to that theme of this, this fundamental structural conflict, as it's called, of feeling unworthy and feeling powerless. Senge also uh, references in this part the sole plaque uh, that the founder and president of Polaroid uh, kept in his office. I think his name was Ed Land. And that plaque read, A mistake is an event, the full benefit of which has not yet been turned to your advantage. Um, so just, yeah, it's, it's, it's great stuff. This is great stuff. 
So that's kind of commitment to the truth. So that's one of the better ways. A second better way. And this is an interesting one, because all of that work that we described above in the vision part, uh, it really it really reinforces this part. And so the second better way is to harness your subconscious mind. So what do I mean by that? Basically, I, with 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 this one, you're trying to ease the inner turmoil that that uh, you're invariably going to be having through this process, through any 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 act of living. <laughs> um, uh, so that so that your subconscious mind um, can help you work smarter. And so, like I said, we've we've talked about all of these already. This is clarifying your vision and all of the different ways that you do that. This is clarifying reality, um, which largely is kind of through a commitment to the truth, right? And kind of kind of the the depth of what that means. And then um, another interesting one here, which is making clear choices. Um, so that's another way that you can kind of support your subconscious mind uh, is by making clear choices. And what does that mean? That basically means that like, you know, you might, if you're not, if you're making unclear choices, it means that you're not really paying attention to the puts and takes of reality. And you're not really paying attention to where you actually want to go, what your desire is. You're just kind of fumbling through life, right? Um, but if you're making clear choices about things, you know, I'm, I'm choosing this because this aligns with, with kind of the vision. This, this aligns with where I want to head, my purpose, all of that. Or, um, you know, this aligns with what makes sense in my current reality, right? I'm making a choice here and it aligns with this. Or, um, I'm making a choice here. It doesn't align with current reality, but it, it helps move me towards something, um, something that's closer to my, my vision. Um, but it's still pragmatic enough to not, uh, you know, leave me on the streets, so to speak. Right. So making clear choices, the more you do that, the more you're able to rest, uh, your subconscious mind in, in the belief that things have been settled about what, what you've decided in the past. And I'm just going to kind of mention here that all of this, all of this stuff about your subconscious mind, you know, we, it's some, some call it the adaptive unconscious. There, there really is something going on there and you kind of get a really solid sense of it through, um, meditation practices actually. So that kind of in a nutshell is what it means to harness your subconscious mind. And as I mentioned, you know, everything that you do when you're clarifying your vision is helping to do that as well. So just to recap here, we talked about current reality as the enemy and, and what that mindset led to this kind of fight or flight response. Um, and we talked about how those responses, uh, fighting, i.e. just using your willpower like crazy, or flight, um, i.e. kind of creating a burning platform and running from from something towards your vision, or either quitting in the worst case scenario. Um, we talked about how, uh, how those approaches don't deal with the underlying structural conflict, um, which is rooted in a, a deep... Um, an ancient uh, uh, sense of powerlessness and unworthiness that we have from when we were kids, probably, right? Um, and how there, we also talked how there was a better way um, to uh, to see reality um, and to uh, to kind of clarify uh, uh, what's real in the world. Um, and, and kind of learn how to do that over time. So we talked about commitment to the truth, and we really elaborated on what that what that notion means in this context, and how it, it's kind of like you're using the philosopher's stone, so to speak, 
to uh, to transform your structural conflict that's getting in between you and and reality into uh, into a more accurate understanding of what what's actually going on and to kind of go deeper and transform things like failure and all of this into something that is um, is something that you can actually um, act on and in turn uh, generate momentum from and, and feel power um, from, right? And then we talked about this other element uh, of kind of the better approach, which is to harness your subconscious. Uh, you know, one way being to clarify your vision, right? The other way to really clarify your reality. Um, uh, the other way to, to make really clear choices. Anything that you can do to kind of settle your mind in, in, in the knowledge, in the deep knowledge that you're kind of, you're following a path of truth, so to speak, right? Um, and that your actions and the choices that you're making are... Uh, being considered along those things that you that you are committed to kind of seeing more clearly and learning to see more clearly um, and learning to refine uh, ever more so that's that's that other element of the better way so now with with these two kind of chunks right the vision piece the current reality piece we're going to move into how to generate and hold creative tension Okay, so we're back, and we're now on the fascinating topic of how to generate and hold creative tension. And if you remember to the beginning of the podcast, I said that creative tension was essentially that gap that exists between um, your personal vision and uh, your current reality. Um, it's it's the space in between the two. Um, and to kind of help you wrap your, your head around all of this stuff that we talked about, I thought it best to kind of conclude on this on this interesting little exercise that I'm going to get you to do. So um, I want you to, if you if you can, um, go and find an elastic band, um, whether in your house, in, in your kitchen, or wherever. Um, if you can't, that's fine too, but uh, just pause for a second um, and go and look for an elastic band. Okay. So we're back, and you know maybe you have an elastic band now. Uh, if you do, I want you to just take that elastic band um, and take your hands and uh, and stretch it out, right? Uh, so stretch that elastic band out and hold one hand um, above the other, uh, so that basically you're holding the you're stretching the elastic band upwards and downwards at the same time. And you can look on the uh, on the show notes if you really need a diagram for this. But basically you're just using your hands to um, pull apart the elastic band and create tension uh, there between between those two um, those two hands. And so now imagine that your upper hand is your vision right? And your lower hand is your current reality. And just kind of fiddle around with that. Just feel the tension. Maybe stretch it out a lot and then bring it down a bit. And, you know, you can feel the physical tension change as you move the elastic band around. And why am I doing this? Well, I guess I'm trying to illustrate kind of how this dynamic or this interplay between current reality and vision plays out, right? Um, and it plays out in some interesting ways here that we need to be mindful of, and that kind of encapsulate many of the lessons we've already we've already talked about here. So um, here's one thing to consider: if you are trying to resolve the tension that you feel between your hands right now 
Um, that's, that's called resolution. And it's, it's really another way of saying that you're bringing your lower hand up to the top hand. You're bringing your current reality closer to your vision. Okay, so you're taking actions to achieve your vision. You're actually transforming your reality. Um, you're working hard and you're working smart. And you're taking action to make current reality look more like your vision um, and eventually kind of become it, right? And that is the fundamental solution, okay? That's the fundamental solution to the tension that you feel when you have the elastic band stretched out. It's resolving the tension. And Senge chooses an interesting word for the other side of the coin, which is release. So when you release the tension, you're lowering your vision to your current reality. So just kind of release your upper hand and move it down. Um, this is you succumbing to uh, the inevitable pressure to um, be more realistic, right? And you can intentionally or unintentionally do this to yourself. This is the, this is the tricky part. Um, and that, that release is the symptomatic solution. You're, you're solving the symptoms to the tension. You're not really solving the fundamental elements of the tension, if you catch my drift, right? You're solving, um, you're solving the thing that's within your control to change, which is your vision. Your vision is the easy part because you can just kind of make it up and do whatever you want with it. You have total control over it. It's your reality that's the hard part. That's the thing that you can't really control, right? Um, that's the thing that you need to learn how to see more clearly and work with, not as an enemy. So another, uh, another thing to consider here is that the more you pull the elastic, the more tension you feel, right? And so it is the same with your vision. So the greater the gap between your vision and your current reality, the greater the creative tension. And this, this isn't a good or a bad thing, but it's something to, uh, to point out, especially if you're Elon Musk and you have a vision of going to Mars, <laughs> you know, you're generating a tremendous amount of creative tension there. Um, and, and that creative tension, like I said, is neither good nor bad, but it, it produces some interesting effects, especially when we, when we look at this little elastic band exercise we're doing with ourselves right now over time and kind of imagine how this would, how this would work over time. So Senge says here, um, if there was no gap, i.e. Uh, no creative tension, there would be no need for any action to move toward the vision. Indeed, the gap is the source of creative energy. Okay? So, if you want to have a ton of creative energy, and you just want to, uh, yeah, just create something big and crazy like flying to Mars and, uh, you know, establishing a colony there. <laughs> I'm really, really picking on him. I don't mean that. But, um, uh, you know, you, you can have... A, a big, big vision like that. And what you're doing is you're ge you're generating a tremendous amount of creative energy. And kind of what we've learned in this podcast so far is, is how to manage, um, manage that tension between your, your vision and your reality through different approaches, right? Through having a really clear idea about what your vision is, um, through having a really clear idea about what your current reality is and learning to see it more clearly and the more narrow you make the gap the easier um the easier it becomes right because your vision is now fairly close to where your current reality is so you're not looking at something that that you really um that you're really going to struggle too hard to achieve so I mentioned just a moment ago that um, there's a dynamic that emerges in the interplay between vision and reality. And why do I why do I say a dynamic? 
Well, uh, because this tension plays out over time. It takes time and effort to achieve our vision and to transform our reality into the vision that we have for it, right? Um, but those actions that we take to achieve our vision, it's not like they just go and they transform reality right away, right? Like, there is a bit of a time delay that happens here, okay? Um, and during that time delay, you know, that's kind of where we start to, uh, start to feel like we might be failing, uh, where we might not be, um, yeah, you, you start to, you start to doubt yourself a bit, right? Um, and it, it makes us feel a certain way about how we're performing. Um, and, and, and so this, this delay between the actions we're taking and their result on our current reality uh, creates some emotional tension for us, right? Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't do anything about the gap. We've got this gap of creative tension. We did all this work and all this activity towards it, but, um, hmm, you know, nothing's happening. But if we're, if we're committed to learning to see reality more clearly, right, we might uncover interesting things about why it is that things are moving so slowly. Or maybe we might uncover the need for patience. We might uncover that this is actually a long-term process because of the things that I know about myself, i.e., you know, my energy level, um, i.e., uh, how much time I have to devote to this. All of these things are part of your current reality that the more you're kind of committed to seeing clearly, um, the greater impact it's going to have on your, you know, on your sense of realism, I guess, right? When you're trying to achieve and when you're looking at that time lag and feeling like you're not, you're not performing, right? So that's, that's one element. Another element that gets produced, um, you know, with, with this is, uh, the structural element, or sorry, the structural conflict piece that we talked about earlier, these deeply rooted feelings of powerlessness and such, um, and, and unworthiness. I mean, those all begin to bubble up to the surface as well in that moment, right? And so we might feel suddenly, well, got to turn up the gas and just, you know, fight this thing through, or, you know what, <sighs> I'm done. <laughs> I was never, I was never able to do this to begin with. I don't, I don't have the power. I'm, I'm unworthy. Uh, I really want to quote Wayne's world right now, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, this, this, uh, this creative tension dynamic that, that gets created over time, you know, if we don't, if we don't deal with it by, clarifying our vision and by, um, kind of clearly learning to see reality, um, uh, all this emotional tension will sabotage us. So I, you know, there's, there's the kind of intentional and the unintentional, um, sabotaging that happens. And probably the most insidious are the ones that we don't really even notice or aren't fully conscious of. You know, so we might, we might be getting so busy that, that, uh, we just kind of forget the goals that we've set for ourselves to achieve our vision, right? We've all done this, you know, we go through the fervor of New Year's resolutions maybe and write some stuff down, really think on it for a little while and you're like, yeah, this is the year, this is the year, do it. <laughs> and then six months later, as we are now, uh, uh, you, you're like, what did I, you know, and you might uncover it in a notebook or something and like, oh God, I like, I'm nowhere near accomplishing any of that. Um, and again, that feeds into all of this feeling of unworthiness, feeling of powerlessness, but really why did we get so busy that we forgot our goals? How did, how did that happen that we just got so wound up in everyday, everyday life that we forgot these things? So, um, that's possibly a sign that, you know, 
some of these emotional tension dynamics are kind of undermining you and and leading you to kind of lower your vision and bring it closer to reality over time. Another thing that could happen is we just might suddenly quit just out of the blue, like you're done, you throw in the towel. Well, what explains that? What explains it when somebody just is like, that's it, I'm done? You know, I, I think that I think that fundamentally, you know, they've they, they had been repressing something the whole time and then all of a sudden, bam. They're just uh <laughs> it comes to the comes to the surface after multiple failures or challenges or um or 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 struggles or whatever and and they they just quit right so you deal with emotional tension that comes from creative tension by practicing um these these foundational practices of personal mastery which we talked about in this episode so i encourage you to listen and re-listen again to all of this material um and to uh to really try to wrap your head around it by maybe picking up a copy of uh peter senge's book the fifth discipline highly recommend it it's uh it's a very interesting read on all these things um and um and you know just stay hungry right and i guess by stay hungry i kind of mean hold that creative tension you can find the resources mentioned during this episode at togetherworking.com slash the working together podcast all in one word be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more in-depth conversations with innovative thinkers makers and doers sure to inspire you and help you make an impact in your world and don't forget to rate and review so that i can continue to bring you the social innovation goods Finally, if you'd like to receive the weekly Working Together Review newsletter where I share interesting finds and actionable insights about teamwork, facilitation skills, social innovation, cooperatives, behavioral economic strategy, political theory, and a whole bunch of other stuff, you can sign up at togetherworking.com.